the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Christians, in thinking about our gospel lesson for this morning, we have to start with one simple, yet very uncomfortable truth. We are going to die. Let me say to this to each one of you as an individual, you are going to die. Death is chasing you. Like the dead young man in our gospel lesson text, one day your heart will stop. One day your body will bloat and grow warm. One day your body and soul will be ripped apart. A funeral home will receive your body. They'll place it in a container to be carried out to some piece of earth, stone cold dead. Your body will slowly decay, returning to the earth from which it was taken, even as your family mourns your loss, as did the widowed woman in our gospel lesson. That's the truth. You will perish. And believe it or not, I can already tell you what the cause of your death will be. Sin. Your sin. The sin you've done. The wrong that you've committed. Your failures in loving God like you're supposed to with all your heart and soul and mind. Your failures at loving the people God places into your life. Instead, loving yourself. It will kill you in the end. Just as it killed the young man in our gospel text. Sure, cancer, heart failure, accident, or old age might be on your death certificate, but sin is the thing behind it that will kill you. You are a dead man walking. I know you know this. But I also know that your sinful nature tries to hide that reality from you. I know that your sinful nature tries to get you to believe that while death will affect all the other people out there, it won't take you. You're special. You'll outsmart it. You've exercised regularly, so you'll be fine. You go to the doctor when you're sick. You have a whole cabinet full of magical pills, all designed to put off your death. 
And you believe that they will. High blood pressure? Well, there's a pill for that. Water retention? Low T? Memory loss? Parkinson's? There's a pill for that. It might slow down the inevitable. We might think we're safe. But we'll still die. What about medical facilities and doctors? We live in the most advanced time ever. Our medical technology is truly amazing, isn't it? Many of us sitting here in this room are alive today when if we lived a hundred years ago, we would not be. By all rights, I should be dead from appendicitis 12 years ago. But I'm not. Surgery kept me going. And many of you too have postponed death through surgery and treatment. Praise God that we're still alive. But death isn't canceled. It's still coming, chasing us down, following after us. I will still die, even though I've been saved from appendicitis. And you will die also. Even though we try to avoid that thought, we know it's true. It makes us a little uncomfortable. Whether we admit it or not, we all have a certain fear of death also, don't we? Yes, I know, we try to hide it. We try to tell people, I'm not worried, it'll be fine. But we are afraid, aren't we? That's why I don't like heights without railings. That's why I don't eat shellfish. I'm allergic, it might kill me. That's why I don't like flying in airplanes over the ocean. The water's deep. I might drown. Yes, that's my fear. Not that the plane will crash, but that I'll drown. You, too, have similar fears. Don't you? You're nervous about death, inching inevitably closer, by fire, famine, or disease. In fact, that fear governs many actions and thoughts in your life. That fear determines the way that you behave. 
We've seen that reality in our society very clearly the last year or so, haven't we? Here at church, 90% of our church business meetings have been all about how not to let people die. When you go to a store or a restaurant or any other public place in town, pasted to every door are signs with new rules that you must obey so that you'll die later rather than sooner. People are angry at each other because they're afraid someone else might cause them to die. And die we will. All of us. Our lives seem to be ruled by death. Government officials have practically become tyrants in teaching us how to avoid death. They're even in an uproar right now. Did you see it in the news about a Supreme Court nominee? Why? Should we allow babies to be killed in the womb or not? A whole big brouhaha in an election year all about life and death. And at the same time, our elderly, our shut-ins, our sick and our dying are dying alone, unvisited, because the fear of death has prevented pastors and family members from getting inside and visiting. At the same time, we hear on the news all over the place how many are dying. 200,000 dead here in the United States, millions worldwide. Will we be next? Maybe. keep trying to hide this truth from ourselves. We don't want to think about it. We've been doing that for years though, haven't we? Think about when someone actually does die. We don't care for the dead like the generations that went before. We hire a professional to take our loved one's body, to embalm it for us to cover over death with makeup so that oftentimes the person looks better in the casket than they did alive in the hospital. We no longer dig the grave for our loved ones, thinking about the cruelness of death, shovel full of dirt by shovel full of dirt for the hours that it takes to dig. Instead, we hire a stranger to dig the grave in five minutes with a tractor. We surround the dead with beautiful flowers to draw our gaze away 
and to cover the smell. And we lie to one another with lies that attempt to cover what's truly going on, with lies that take our focus off of Jesus. Your loved one's an angel now. Your loved one will live on in your heart. Think of all the good that they accomplished here on earth. We distract ourselves from death. We try to hide the reality from our eyes. But here, the simple, uncomfortable truth one more time. You will die. Your body will go to the grave. Your sin will kill you. It is this reality that brings about the scene in our gospel lesson for this morning. At the village of Nain, just a couple miles from Shunem, where our Old Testament lesson took place, there's a funeral. A widow who had previously buried her husband now must bury her only son. Sin has claimed another victim. The town has come out to weep with the woman and to help her carry the body out of town to its resting place, downwind from town. In the ancient world, that young man will be laid in the same tomb, just feet away from where his father's bones still lay. And the widow must walk down there and deal with all of the emotion, the hurt, the loss, and the sadness. She'll weep every day going forward when she remembers her loved ones that are no longer here. She'll feel that emotional pain in a physical way. She's afraid of what lies ahead. And she knows that she'll suffer without her loved ones. That's the same way death affects all of us. It cuts deep with pain, pain that lasts a long time. Picture it in your head, this funeral procession walking out of town. And then in walks Jesus. As this woman carries her son out to death, God's son, who is alive, walks in. And he is filled with compassion. He understands death. He understands it completely. It hurts him as much as it hurts you. 
he'll weep when his friend Lazarus is dead. And it is his word, after all, that warned Adam and Eve in the beginning that if they did not listen to God, they would surely die. He gets it. He understands. And so when Jesus sees this woman, he's filled with compassion. He's moved to pity with love and concern about this woman, her pain, and her future life as she deals with death. And so he speaks to her. He preaches a sermon to her. Do not weep. When those words come from Jesus, they are not words of law. Shut up and stop crying, you big baby. Those are not words of lies. Your loved one will live on in your heart. These are words of Jesus, words of good news, of gospel, of truth. Do not weep, Jesus says. And carried in those words are this truth, that he is the resurrection and the life, that he's the one who will bring death to its end. He will solve what you are afraid of. He will take care of your pain through his own pain. He will return all to life. And having preached that sermon to the widowed woman, he touches the funeral bier and stops its procession. And he preaches a sermon to the dead man. Young man, I say to you, arise. They are words of resurrection, words of life, words of hope and comfort and certainty, words that carry blood and sacrifice, words that bring the very cross of Jesus to this situation, to this death, to this young man. They preach the only solution to death. They're the words of Good Friday, where Jesus took our sin upon himself, who took the deadly virus of sin into his body so that he might kill it once and for all on Golgotha, atoning for all of our sin rescuing all of us from death, completing everything that was necessary for all people who trust in him to live forever. With Jesus' death on the cross, death is swallowed up forever in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's destroyed. Powerless. Jesus preaches the words 
that undo the grave. And as soon as Jesus preaches, the man returns to life. When the words of Jesus hit his dead ears, they're dead no longer. He sits up, he begins to confess who Jesus is and what has happened to him. And Jesus returns him to his mother. Now things are normal. Now they can go back to the way things were before. Now everything is perfect, right? Well, actually, one thing has changed. For one thing in that man and his mother's life is different. Do you think that that young man who once was dead but now has been raised by the word of Jesus, do you think he was afraid of death any longer? He'd seen it be beaten. He'd heard the word of God. He'd seen the Son of God with his own living eyes and heard his word with his living ears. He'd already been through death. And he'd seen Jesus defeated. That young man, many years later, perhaps, died again. But he died without fear. He knew he belonged to Jesus. Dear Christian, you've already been through death also. Did you know that? You've already died once. It's true. In the waters of holy baptism, you were baptized into the death of Jesus. You were buried with him with Jesus by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too might walk in newness of life, just like that young man, just like that widow. You have already been given eternal life. Your death whenever it might be, however it might be, has already been taken care of by Jesus. Do you need to fear death any longer? Of course not. Even when you die, Yet shall you live.
You're free. You're free now in Jesus. Free to leave life and death to Jesus. Free to leave it in God's hands, right where it belongs. Free to let Jesus be the author and perfecter of your life. Yes, you will be died. Yes, you will be buried. Yes, your sin will kill you, it is certain. But so too is resurrection. Jesus has fixed your death by his death. Jesus will raise you as he has been raised. He will put your body back together perfectly when he returns to glory on the last day. He will stand at the foot of your grave and say to you, arise, live forever with me, and your ears will hear and obey. He'll say, no longer do you need to weep. Every tear has been wiped from your eyes. And you will partake in the great wedding feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. At the word of Jesus, you're free to not be afraid of death. Even as the world keeps echoing it in our ears. What's the uncomfortable truth? Yes, you will die. Here's another truth that's just as true. Death does not win. Jesus does. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.